Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 7. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And they shall rebuild the old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and feed your flocks, and the sons of the foreigner shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. But you shall be named the priests of the Lord. They shall call you the servants of our God. You shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, you shall have double honor, and instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess double. Everlasting joy shall be theirs and ours. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, let's, let's pray together. Our Lord, Please join me in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, beginning in verse 35, and we're going to read through chapter 5 and verse 20. On the same day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great wind storm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so there was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and sea obey him? 
Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him, and always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he, Jesus, said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Also he begged him earnestly that he would not send him out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid." And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. Well, the last couple of weeks we've been in chapter 4 of Mark's Gospel and we saw Jesus using parables to teach the crowd and then went in private with the disciples. He explains the parables to them and what is the purpose of the parables. And the seed is the word of God. The seed is the word of this very, very, very small thing that has a powerful outcome has a powerful outcome. And the last example he uses is the mustard seed, that smallest of all cultivated seeds that produces a tree 
that they can get their mustard from. And you can buy simple words in the enabling power of the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> sow a seed that will have an outcome that is way beyond your wildest expectation because that is the kind of God that you have. Every bit of God's word comes back to this topic. Who is the true and living God and what are his ways? What is, the, what is his nature and what are his ways? And ladies and gentlemen, as simple as it is, that is the format of the Christian life. Knowing what my God is like and trusting in that reality in every place at all times. He is present. He is loyal. He is present with us to be all that he is. What is what's the most famous of all the Psalms? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. All of those things, that is the format, that's the orientation. By the way, repent means change your orientation, change your outlook, change your format of life. If we are truly walking in repentance, we're constantly fighting that spiritual battle, pull us ourselves away from the world's outlook to God's outlook. And he disciples us. He trains us. So here we have the episode. Jesus has explained the parables. And then he says, and he's in the northern part. He's in Galilee, right there on the edge of the sea. He's actually speaking to the people. He's been in a boat. The crowd was so huge, he was in a boat. He's speaking from this boat. And then when all of this is done, he says to the disciples, okay, let's cross over Galilee to Gadara. Let's cross over there. Well, it's, a, it's just crossing the northwest, northeast corner of the Sea of Galilee. It's about a six or seven mile trek across from this shore to that shore to get there. It's not the entire sea by any means. It's only about six or seven miles. But as I read the narrative, you've got Jesus and his disciples, and there were other boats that went with them. It's not just the one. And so Jesus has, says, has said, let us cross over and drown on our way. No, he didn't say that, did he? Let us cross over to the other side. And when they left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. So in Sestus 1, there's a whole flotilla of boats, small boats going across that six or seven mile journey across that northeast corner of the Sea of Galilee, and the great wind arose, and the waves are beating, and Jesus is asleep. His head is on the pillow. The, his head, he was in the stern, the back of the boat, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Wake up! <laughs> ah! And what's his response? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace! Be still. 
and the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Folks, this is a flat out miracle. Everybody who's ventured on the sea, we've got former Coast Guardsmen here. Do you ever get to be a former Coast Guardsman? We got Navy, people with Navy background. We got, when there is a storm at sea, the storm can be over, but it takes a long time for the waters to calm down. It doesn't just happen instantly, unless Jesus says so. And Jesus said so. Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? As again, I said a couple minutes ago, he didn't say, let's go out in the sea and drown. He said, let's cross over. Why are you so fearful? You're drawing your fear from the wrong thing. If you fear God... If you understand what your God is like and his loyalty to you in the enterprises he sent you on, you, if you're, you only need to fear God. You don't ever need to fear anything else. Everything else bows the knee to him. He is absolute, unrestrained Lord in all places at all times. The Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace, provision, and glory, a positive outcome. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blesses the man who trusts in you. By the way, I memorized that verse about 65 years, about 60 years ago. And I've hung on to it for a reason. I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm just saying, folks, this is the basic format of the Christian life. And Jesus is saying to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly. Not they aren't fearing the storm now. And said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey? What's happening? Jesus is pulling them away from that tar baby of fearing the natural elements in favor of the fear of him, the fear of God. And what are they saying? Yikes. We need to be oriented to who he is what his ways are, what his capacities are, not the threats. If we fear him, we can wave off all the other threats. They can't look at me cross-eyed without divine permission. And if they do look at me cross-eyed with divine permission, it's to advance God's work in my life and work through me. He is master, absolute master of all things. They feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now folks, in all fairness to these people, they've seen Jesus do a whole lot of miracles. They've already seen a massive amount of wisdom coming from him. They've seen miracles, but... Put yourself in their place. Would you put yourself on the possibilities list for God 
to actually, out of all the human race and all times, of putting you on the alongside, alongside the Messiah list to be discipled directly by God the Son. We all are constantly going about the business of disqualifying ourselves. Oh, well, I believe that God can keep that promise to Bob. I believe that God can keep that promise to Alexi. I believe that God can keep that promise to Claire. But I know me. Well, Jesus knows every one of us. And he is the aggressive in his mercy God. And he qualifies us to become his disciples. And he brings us into that gang. <laughs> and we get to walk with him. We get to hear his words. We get to see his ways. And what does Jesus say in Matthew 28, the Great Commission? He's about to ascend into heaven. What does he say to the apostles? All authority, all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore into all the world, that entirely, all that dangerous, hostile environment out there. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, and I will be with you. The storm calmer will be with you even to the end of the age. That's not just for them, ladies and gentlemen. That's for every one of us. That's the reality of your environment if you're an authentic follower of Jesus the Redeemer. And then Jesus goes over. They finish the journey over to this region is called, the, the entire region is called Decapolis, which means ten cities. It's most of the eastern side of the Jordan. A little bit of it comes across on the western side of the Jordan. But it, Decapolis means ten cities. It's principally a Gentile inhabited area. And Jesus goes over there. Why? He knows there is a job that is, is waiting for him to do. He, he's not just going, let's go over there and just venture over there and see what's going to... No, he knows what awaits him. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. The city of Gadara is there. It's one of the ten cities. And when he came out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man out of the tombs, out of the tombs. Folks... That's the unclean area. You touch a carcass, you're unclean. Now, this is a Gentile area, so it's not as big a deal, but who wants to live in a graveyard? Who wants to live in Nobody. Nobody. There met him a man out of the tombs with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. 
And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. Let me stop right here, and I'm going to tip my hand about what's going to happen at the end of the story. Let me ask you a question. In that entire region of Decapolis, do you think there's anybody that hasn't heard about this guy? Every, I would dare say everybody in the entire region has heard about this outrageous maniac whom they have le- literally sneaked up on and chained him and put shackles on him and he broke the chains and broke the shackles and fled away and got... Everybody knows about that, and he is out there. If you go into that region, you're hearing him scream out in torment because of what is afflicting him from these demons. And nobody can stop it, and he is a threat to anybody. He's crying out and cutting himself with stones. The demons that inhabit him hate him. You know, let me make a simple point here. You know, when Lucifer comes to us and uh, and tries to entice us, what does he say about himself and how he regards? Oh, you're one of my pets. Oh, let me show you a wonderful thing I can... Now, Satan often doesn't come without a mask, but say the world, the flesh, and the devil will always entice you unto your destruction. No good outcome will ever come from obeying the world system or your fallen nature, the flesh, or the devil. And they are all three present with the purpose of your destruction. Jesus comes and he delivers this man whom they had, they had done everything they could. These people in the region of Decapolis had done everything they could to rescue this man. And it had failed completely. Verse 6, when he, this demon-possessed man, saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. Now, the one who's going to be speaking here isn't the man. It's the demon who is the chief demon among the legion of demons. Now, as I read the passage, how many, there's an enormous herd of hogs, swine. 2,000, about 2,000 hogs. By the way, they're domestic. They're domestic. They're not wild. There are people that are there in charge of that herd that are feeding them. 2,000 of them. The demon, ident- what is your name, Jesus says? Legion, for we are many. Well, folks, a Roman legion at the time of Jesus was 5,400 infantry and about 400 more auxiliaries. So 5,800 was a legion in the time of Jesus. We are legion. That is our name, for we are many. But the demon-possessed man, the demon speaking through him, cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I, this is the lead demon, to do with you, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? Well, that demon is actually telling the truth about Jesus, but there are certain witnesses you really don't want (laughs) testifying for you. And demons is one of them. 
So Jesus shuts him up. I implore you, but the demon says, I implore you by God. What? That you not, do not torment me. Do not torment me. There is a place in the underworld called torments. There's also a place called Tartarus. This is from 2 Peter. No, that's from, it's from Jude. Tartarus. Tartarus was the place where demons were sent who had crossed a lot, the line so badly that God said, you guys are in there, the re- you'll get judged with the rest of the demons, but there is actually a place of, of jail, a jail for demons. I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he, Jesus said to him, come out of the man unclean spirit. Then he, Jesus asked him, the unclean spirit, what is your name? And he answered and said, My name is Legion, for we are many. Also he begged him, the demon begged him earnestly, that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine, those who fed the swine fled. Yeah, these are domestic, this is domestic herd. It's not wild. Those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city, in Gadara, and in the country, the surrounding area, and they went out, the people in Gadara and the surrounding area, they went out to see what it was that had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had, and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Well, here was a problem they had been unable to solve. They had done everything they could in their strength, in their capacity. They had chained him. The chains were broken. They had shackled him. The shackles were broken. They could not solve this problem. Jesus showed up and problem solved. They're afraid. They came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. Complete change. Sitting, not charging around, clothed, which he had been naked, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Yikes. Yikes. What had the disciples said when Jesus calmed the storm? Who can this be? That even the wind and the sea obey him. What are the gatherings saying? Who can this be? Who solved our unsolvable problem? Yikes. Who can this be? And those who saw it, saw the deliverance, 
told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine, then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. What in the world would we do with this guy, Jesus, if we let him walk through our, frankly, pagan culture? (laughs) How much of a mess would this fellow Jesus make of our pagan culture, and what kind of a correction would he pour out on us that we really don't want? They were afraid of him on every level. He was a threat to them, even though he would be their deliverer. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever attempted to explain the gospel to someone who became fearful and aggressive and angry? If you've ever had consistently tried to explain the gospel, yes, you have. Because you suddenly are a threat to their own personal culture and way of life and orientation. And you're telling them to repent, get reoriented to the true and living God. It happened, and those who saw it told them how it had happened to him. He had been demon-possessed and how the swine... And about the swine, then they began to plead with him, Jesus, to depart from the region. And when he got into the boat, now, you know, if Jesus wants to stay, he's going to stay. Jesus knew before he ever crossed the sea what he was going to do. He had it all worked out. The plan was made. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, No, I'm appointing you to be an evangelist. (laughs) You're going to take the good news to these people and look at the credentials this guy has. Everybody in that region knows who he is. They know what he was yanked out of, and they can see the difference. And I want you to go and speak first to your friends, to your acquaintances. Go back to your family and tell them. And then keep it up, keep it up. Go and tell them. You couldn't ask for a better evangelist in that part of the the country because they all knew what he had been delivered from and there was nobody that was going to say oh no that was made up no no you're exact no there was no exaggerating what he had been yanked out of and who did it who did it who did jesus did it jesus did it jesus and jesus later on in mark's gospel he's going to return it to decapolis and he's going to have a great welcome in Decapolis, because this guy will have gone out and done the job given to him and laid the groundwork. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion, compassion on you. This is a principally Gentile area but the God of gods has compassion. He feels with you are not disqualified 
from God's grace and mercy. That is Satan's number one tactic for turning people away from the gospel is to give them the understanding. And I've literally had one individual say to me, with whom I had shared the gospel, he said to me, you don't know what I've done. In his mind, in his heart, he had embraced Satan's lie that he was disqualified from God's redeeming love. That is Satan's general tactic. Either too good to need Jesus, God's grace, or you're too wicked to qualify. Well, folks, that's the very definition of mercy is undeserved favor. Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis, that whole region, all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. There was no question what had happened. No denying. And they all marveled. Wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. If this guy qualifies for God's redeeming work, hmm, wonder if there's hope for me. And Jesus will come back and they will, there will be a very large response. Your God is the absolute master of your life experience. Nobody, as I said earlier, can look at you cross-eyed without divine permission. He is absolutely your defender. He is your protector. He is your shepherd. And he will lead you. He has led you. He will lead me. He has led me to the place of still waters and green pastures. And he's even led me to that banqueting table where I was able to drink in the presence of my enemies. <laughs> God is the unrestrained Lord and victor guiding us in our earthly walk. Our challenge, ladies and gentlemen, is that when we walk through that door, we don't forget what the Holy Spirit just said to us. Let's pray right now for ourselves. Our Lord, we ask that you would enable us to remember by the Holy Spirit's enabling loyal strength what you said to us, that you are present with us. We do not need to fear the storm. We do not need to fear anything in the spiritual environment. You are absolute, unrestrained Lord, and you will guide us to be gospelers, message carriers in this world, carrying your message of, of deliverance. We ask that this week you would open a door, at least one door of opportunity for us to tell the gospel truth to somebody who needs to hear it. We ask this of you, Good Shepherd, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen going to invite you to stand and the words will be on